Um, so we're going to be starting our new summer series. And we're talking about different things, different people from our congregation are going to come and share. And today Don is going to share his heart and we're going to talk about unity. Especially unity in the church and how we've let things divide us. And I think we all have examples of that in our own lives, in our families, in workplaces, in different situations where unity is vital for anything to ever work. Now, when Jace was born about 15 years ago, you know, hard to believe, uh, he was born really early. And so he needed to spend some time in the NICU, four months in the NICU. And most of his days were touch and go. And we met lots of different doctors, lots of different specialists, lots of different nurses. And I come from a background where I was a little bit closed off to other people that were different than me, that maybe didn't look the same as me, that maybe didn't dress the same as me, didn't talk the same as me. So I came with that baggage. I came with distrust of other people. And I didn't take the time to learn about them before I made sweeping judgments of who they might be. And some of those nurses, I remember telling Derek, like, I don't trust these nurses. I don't like the way they look. I can't believe these are the people that are going to be taking care of my little baby boy. This isn't going to work. I'm just, they're too different than me. And had I kept that same attitude, I probably wouldn't have been able to make it through those four months but I needed to let my walls down and I needed to stop looking at who they were on the outside, what they, my perception of them was, maybe how they were dressed. Because all of those nurses became really great friends because I took the time to get to know them and listen to their stories and hear where they came from. And the point of it is, They're all different. They had a different perspective. The doctors all had different perspectives. But because of those differences and their way that they saw things differently, quite often one nurse might catch something that one nurse didn't. And ultimately all those different pieces, all the different differences in them is what saved Jace's life and God. God allowed that. He worked through them. But had they not embraced each other's differences and strengths and weaknesses and accepting that sometimes maybe they didn't know everything, there wouldn't have been that same unity, that same, we're working toward the same goal and saving a little boy's life. And it's much like that in our church and in our families. We all have differences and we all come with our own stories and our own backgrounds. And if we don't take the time to, to hear those stories, We'll never know what other people can bring to the table. So, all right, Pastor. That's good, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Morning, church. How about the Bucks? Okay, it's always a good thing to start with. We're unified there, right? Good, good, good. Yes, we begin something new today that will carry us over these next weeks of summer. And I think whenever we start something new, it's good to pray before we start that. So let's take a moment, calm our hearts, right? And just listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us just now. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that you demonstrated your love for us by actually becoming one of us and going to that cross and dying so that we might be more like you. Such love, unfathomable. You've told us that if we love you, we must also love others, particularly those of the household of faith. And it's because of this love that we show for one another that the world will know that we are truly your followers, your disciples. Forgive us, forgive me for my own biases and unloving attitude that I've had over these many years toward other Jesus followers that do not behave or believe like I do. 
Forgive me for being too quick to criticize others and, and so ready to point out and declare the differences rather than seeking dis, to discover the oneness that you died to provide for us. Teach me how to delight in those differences, Lord. Move me deeper into your love. Father, how it must grieve your Holy Spirit that we have created and caused such barriers, such divisions within the body of your Son, Jesus. Yet it was your Son's prayer that we be one in unity, one in the bond of peace, one in fellowship, one in love toward all those who are called by your name. Help me, Lord, to love others as you have loved me, completely free from prejudice or favoritism or judgment. You welcome me to yourself. And so we desire to declare together this morning as a congregation, as a rise church, our desire to live with respect for each other, to resist the division that comes from the evil one, to be one in mind, united in thought and purpose. Bind us together as only you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit in love and unity. Show us what that looks like. You, Father, are no respecter of persons. All who trust in your sacrifice on the cross are forgiven, are welcomed here, are welcomed into your courts as citizens of heaven accepted by the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray together in that name, the name of Jesus, and together all God's people said, Amen. 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 So let's get going. Last week, uh, we reminded all of us, or were reminded, that Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Faith Hall of Fame. The Faith Hall of Fame. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. The writer of the book of Hebrews gives us this impressive list of 16 superheroes of the faith from the Old Testament. 16 incredible men and women whose stories not just challenge us, but motivate us to live differently uh, today. And you got your faith celebs like David and Abraham and Moses, but you've also got some really flawed folk in that list like Rahab the prostitute and, of course, Samson the sociopathic narcissist. You know, uh, normal, regular folk like you and me, right? (laughs) For the rest of the summer, we are going to talk about uh, some heroes of the faith that are right here at Arise Church, living out their faith consistently, day by day, week by week, in their places of work and in our community. And so I'm excited about that. Before we get to Don Gandy, let me say I'm really hoping these next weeks are going to rattle your cage. Because I think evangelicalism in America needs to have our cage rattled. To come back to what Jesus died to provide. And that is a love for God and a love for others. And come back to the simplicity of what our mission truly is. I hope our faith is challenged. You may not like what you hear from some of these folk over the summer. And I hope you don't. But I'm asking you to be open to do what the scriptures say. And what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? And that is the question we've been asking these past weeks. That's the question Jesus asked when confronted with a cultural situation. You tell me, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? We have to be people of the word in, know, in order to know what the scriptures say. Here's what the scriptures say. Paul recorded in Romans 15, 7, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. That word accept, it is an imperative, which in the original language means it's a command. This is not an option, nor is it a suggestion from God. This is a command to accept one another. What does that word mean? It means to welcome or receive. To welcome or receive. You don't have sermon notes. I know it's kind of weird, but that's okay. You'll be all right. Welcome or receive, right? It means to welcome or or receive. Now think with me about that. Accepting someone means you love them right now just as they are with all their hurts, with all of their hang-ups, with all of their beliefs, with all of their behaviors that don't match with yours. Because of course yours are perfect and yours are right and that means that theirs are wrong because they're different from you. Right? (laughs) My love for another person, now listen to this carefully. My love for another person is found in my acceptance of them and not in agreement with the choices they may make or may not make. 
I am commanded to accept them. I'm not commanded to agree with them. I am commanded to accept them, which means I have to understand what they're saying and the context in which they are saying it. Because their story is much different than my story. Can we agree with that? So we have to have that understanding. Just because I welcome or receive someone, I accept them, does not necessarily mean I agree with the choices that they are making. But I have to accept them. It's possible to be in a relationship with someone and not agree on the decisions that they make. You know how I know that? Because Jesus accepts me. Does he agree with every decision that I make? No, he doesn't. Does he still accept me? Does he agree with some of the decisions I make? Does he accept me? Does he agree with all the decisions I make? Okay, you're starting to get it. All right. Okay. The Bible is not asking us to necessarily agree, but to always accept. Now, the same word is found in Romans 14.1. Accept or welcome. I like this. With open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them with every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. That's what the Word of God says, right? That's what the Word of God says. I think that's worth repeating. Except welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Let's read this together, all right? We'll pick it up right where we are. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinion and weak in the faith department. Remember... They have their own history to deal with. Treat them, treat them gently. Okay, now Paul is talking about those with different convictions, obviously, in context of Romans 14 and 15. We just looked at those verses. And we put this passage in context, which we must always do, correct? Always put in its proper context. In the churches in Rome, some of the Gentile congregation had been marvelously delivered from their life of idolatry and worship of false gods. They were shocked to find Christians eating meat that had been sacrificed to the very gods they had once worshipped. This was very, very offensive to them. How could you do this? We were delivered from that life and you're eating the meat offered to those idols. It was on sale in the public marketplace, but eating it was out of the question. No way could they do this because we've been delivered from that way of life. We're not going to go back to that. On the other hand, the Gentile believers all in the church in Rome uh, refused to agree with and follow the old Jewish calendar with all of its feasts and festivals and rules and regulations which really upset the Jewish Christians. So here they are in the church and they're going just like this. Nothing's changed, right? Nothing's changed. But these are convictions, And before Don comes, I just want to make sure I remind you of what the Bible lays down as the base for how we handle these kinds of differences. And here's what the Bible says. Each group was offended by the others. And you've heard me say over and over again, I don't give a rip if you are Republican or Democrat. I am far more concerned that we love Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength than those differences begin to dissipate. We will not become political. Was Jesus political? Was he a revolutionary? Yeah. You better believe he was because he brought about the kingdom of heaven which is much different than the kingdoms of this earth. And he calls us to live differently. So in the church in Rome, each judged, each condemned the other, each thought they were right. It's an old problem that hasn't gone away, and neither has a solution. My convictions are more important than yours, right? No, they're not. Battle lines replace boundaries of love, days and diets, Paul says. These aren't worth fighting about. These are convictions. But fight and argue and judge and condemn and unity suffers and the world wonders, what is this Jesus you have to offer? It's no different. And so the Bible speaks much about coming together. 
right? Paul reminds us, first of all, let's be people of strong convictions. Uh, We're back to Romans 14. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers everyday life. Each one should be fully convinced, convicted is the word, in his own mind. Be fully convinced in your own mind. We must be people of strong conviction. Again, because we've taught about this over and over again, you understand where we're going, right? We look for direction for life from the scripture. Does the Bible address every issue of life? I see some yeses and I see some noes, right? The answer is yes and no. That's correct. The Bible is filled with directives. They are commands, they are direct. Like we have the 10 suggestions. No, they are the 10 commandments. These are directives, correct? Teach us how to live, how to respond, how to handle culture, all those kinds of things. And I believe the majority of life can be lived in the land of directives. But does the Bible say anything about the Internet? Okay, it's a big part of our lives. Does the Bible say anything about social media? Doesn't address it, right? So it doesn't direct it directly, address it directly, right? But there are principles that cover every situation of life. Right? And we've talked at length about those. This is just by a quick way of review for those of you that have not been a part of that journey. A principle is truth that transcends time and culture. It's true anywhere, anytime, always true. Give me an example of a principle that would govern your use of the internet. Give me a principle from Scripture. Okay. Think on these things, right? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Those are principles that cover all of life, right? And from that principle, then we extract a conviction. That conviction then becomes the basis for your behavior, not your belief. Can we have different convictions and still love Jesus? Yes, we can. Here's the second point. Let's keep our convictions to ourselves. Paul says, let every person be fully convinced in your own mind. This is good and it's right and it's healthy. Right? It's good to have strong convictions. We need Jesus followers with some backbone out there. But not just holding up signs and saying what we don't believe in. But a demonstration of the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking for. So Paul says, let's keep our convictions to ourselves. So whatever you believe about these things, these things are the things that I just talked to you about, differing convictions that were ravaging the church in Rome. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And how do we remember that, right? Keep it between yourself and God. Keep it, remember that? Yeah, and we did that pulpit swap with all the churches, the five churches in the area. That's the message that I preached in each of the churches in this community, and I still go in there going like this. Keep it between yourself and God, right? It's so important that we keep it between ourselves and God. NLT puts it this way. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Keep it between yourself and God. If we don't do that, here's what happens. Paul addresses it in 1 Timothy 6.4. Be careful of the person who's full of pride and understands nothing, but is sick with a love for arguing and fighting about words. Be careful of that person. Wow. This brings jealousy, fighting, and speaking against others. Paul says it has no place in the body of Christ. Why are we doing this? Criticizing the convictions of other people is a sin that is much too prevalent among the people of God. We can do better. We will do better as we all surrender the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must do it gently. Our culture is not gentle. We shout. We shout at each other. I don't care if you put it in all caps uh, when you're typing at your keyboard or, or whether it, it's not the volume of your voice, it's the intensity, but we're all shouting at each other. Why can't we just listen to each other for a change? Why can't we accept one another first? Why do we always have to shout at each other? Because we're right and everybody else is wrong. 
We can do better than this. And I believe Jesus wants us to do better than this. He wants us to truly love one another. It begins by accepting. And here's where I have to look into my own heart. God, I want to stop shouting. And you know that I don't have a social media footprint. You all know that. That is my conviction. Because I've seen the devastation and the heartbreak and the sorrow when believers shout at each other. And I've seen what it's done to the faith of those who don't know Jesus and those who do. And it breaks my heart. And it's time we stop shouting. And we start accepting. Don, why don't you come and share your heart with us this morning. So this begins then our summer series. Uh, This is Don Gandy. Do you like him? Yeah, I agree. Derek, is this, it's got no light on it. Is that okay? This one? Try this one, Don. Hello? Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, I want to start this out by saying, because I thought about it, you know, I mean, Pastor and I haven't really discussed what he's going to be asking me, um, (laughs) but he knows that, he knows my mindset, and he knows where my heart has been, but I want to start this out by saying, now, do you guys remember this land was made for me and you? Would you sing it with me? Wait, this how the words? This land is your land. This, this land, land is my land. From California to the, to the New Gulf York Islands, to the Redwood, Redwood Forest, yes, to the to Gulf, Gulf Stream waters. waters. This, this land was made for you and me. Hallelujah. Well, the reason I, I wanted to do that, Pastor, is because what, what, what we've been discussing is. When I was a kid, that was one of those songs that I would just throw my head back and sing it. You guys remember sixth grade, fifth grade singing those songs? Those are the best times in your lives. Yankee Doodle Dandy and all that stuff. <laughs> those were the American songs. Those were songs that you sang and they, they got so deep inside of you that you just felt so proud to be an American. Well, I, I want you guys to know that a part of what, we're gonna say, what I was going to say today is that I, I, after a certain age, I never felt that this land was for me and it might have been for you, but it wasn't for me. Um, I've thought about things since Pastor talked to me. And a lot of the freedoms that you guys enjoy as white people, and now I'm not being negative in any way, shape, or form. There's a few people that aren't white. But as white people, you guys could enjoy things that I never got the opportunity to enjoy. I mean, I, I didn't realize how different things was until I got into to the workforce. And I started to realize that almost every weekend, most of the white people I knew were going up north. I'm going where the... Everybody's going up north. I'd never heard of a black people person say they were going up north. Well, what I found out later on is that up north was not really a place for black people. It was a white refuge. It was a place where white people can go and they could let their hair down. They could, they could uh, water ski. They could camp. They could fish. But you didn't see any black people up there because we were not invited. That was a place we did not go. And so therefore, I started to realize that, you know, not every place was for me. And um, there was times when we, where I was invited to go up north, and I was actually very fearful. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm fearful to this day to go up north. It's not something that I just jump in the car and do. I told my wife, I said, Terry, you know... Um, you know, I, I, I got to know exactly where I'm going to be, what time I'm going to be there, who, who I'm going to be with. You know, there's no, uh, there's no just like white people. They just go. I, I mean, so, but so I started hanging around with white people because then I didn't have to worry about anything. You know what I'm saying? Most of my friends are white. Everywhere I go, I'm, I'm with white people. And I'm going to tell you something else, and I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to remember this. One of the worst things you can say to a black person is that you're the whitest black person I've ever met. That is not a compliment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I'm just saying. Now, I love people. I love the heart of people. When I first started coming to the church, 
I felt at home. The, the, the common denominator was the love that people had towards each other. I saw something that was absolutely amazing. They didn't even see me as black. You know, I've been trying to be just, I just want people to see me my whole life as seeing me, seeing Donnie, seeing Don. I don't want them to see my color. I want them to see my heart. And I believe that I was able to succeed in that area because my kids told me on a road trip one day, they said, Dad, you have really, your whole life, you've been able to assimilate and to, to, to become what God has called you to be. And we see that every day in you. My children told me that. I literally had tears in me because I know that's who I am. Well, let me tell you something. The last four years have been traumatic for me. I have seen separation in the church like I have never seen before. I started to feel that uh, I've never been, a, I wasn't a conservative or a Democrat, but I had a lot more liberal thoughts and ideals. I'm a black man. My God, I grew up in the hood. And then I found out something else too, Pastor. I know you was going to ask me some questions, but I found some other things out. <laughs> this will never happen again. But, <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, what I found out is even growing up in the hood, I mean, I remember growing up and we could only live in certain areas. A lot of people say, well, why, why do they all live in those areas? You know, why don't they move out? Because you couldn't move anywhere else. There was, there was walls up between each neighborhood that kept you from moving somewhere else. You were, you were pretty much stuck there. To me, I started to realize that it was a reservation. Black people have been living in the hood, which is basically a revel, uh, 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 like an Indian reservation for years. But we never saw it that way. We always said, well, you know, we're all the same. You know, we all have the same um, opportunities. Well, it wasn't quite like that. But I want you to know that Jesus did make a difference. Jesus started to tear down some of those walls. Those walls were coming down, and I saw it happening. I saw it happening, and I was happier than I've ever been in my life. And then the last four years, it was like all hell broke loose. And now we're seeing things that I've never thought I would see. I thought it was, it was almost like it was a prerequisite to be a conservative in order to be a Christian. That was breaking my heart. I would sit and worship with a lot of people in church. And, and, and it did, they didn't care what political background I had or, or what. They, we was just glorifying God. It was the most powerful thing I've ever seen and been a part of in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that those things have changed. And I want us to get back to where we were. Because if we're going to be going into this neighborhood and we're going to affect these people in this neighborhoods, I'm telling you, we don't know who they, who they are. We don't know what their social economic situation is. We don't know, we don't know uh, uh, if they're uh, uh, gay or lesbian. We don't know what they are. But I'm telling you what, if we don't bring love, and you know the love that I see that's separating is not from us and the people in the streets. It's from inside the church. You know, the Lord said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God. He said, Beloved, that's us. He told us a couple times the same thing. Love one another. He was talking to us because he knew we were going to go through this crap. So I'm not trying to preach. Is that what I'm doing? I'm just telling you, this stuff has been in my heart, and it's been hurting me, and I was literally... Halfway out the door from the church itself. I had told Pastor I was leaving the church. I was going to step down from the worship team. I said, I can't live a fraud anymore. I felt like I was perpetrating a fraud. And um, I don't know if you guys remember this song, It's Too Late. Um, the, the lyrics was, um, it's too late. Well, it doesn't matter. Brain damage happened. There, um, wait, Larry Norman's? No, it, no, it was. There's it no was, time uh, to change your mind? No, it was. Um, it's too late, baby, now it's too oh, late. Oh, yeah. yeah. We really did try to make it. Something inside has died, and I can't hide it, and I just can't fake it. Hmm. That's how I felt. And I don't want to sit here in front of you guys and lead worship, and I'm not really in, this, in allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to me because there's a, there's a blockage. I don't want that anymore. I'm not saying that what I experienced had anything to do with anybody in this room, but I will say that the things that I have seen, and you brought it up on, on the Internet, people are, are thumbs-upping and they're, they're, they're posting things as if the person they're sitting next to in church agrees with everything they're doing. They, it's almost as if they don't care. Who are they sending this stuff to? 
Who are they posting it for? It's decisive. It's, 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 it's damaging. You hurt your brother. You hurt your sister with this stuff. I'm just saying. I have four uncles, and each one of them served in a different war. Vietnam, Korea, and, and the Second World War. I have, a, I have a son who's been to Afghanistan and Iraq, and he's still serving in um, um, the reserve right now. He's almost got 21 years. I'm here to say that my sons and my uncles are patriots, but there are some of the things I see on fa- Facebook make it look like the only patriots are white people. My family has been fighting for this country for generations. But I'm here to tell you, we got to quit marginalizing people and putting them in boxes and making them out to be something and, and to, to, to rise up above everyone else. I tell you what, the common denominator is always going to be Jesus. He will make the difference in all of our lives. If we, if we gravitate towards him and, and connect with Jesus, it will change this country. It will change this city. It will change our lives. This, this ain't no joke because I'm telling you, I really love people. I'm not lying. The only person I have issues with is my wife. Okay, but <laughs> she's not here. I can say that. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, Pastor. You can go ahead. Good. Thanks, Don. Love you, man. Is that it? No, no. Good. I I I like to put everything in context. So in a more compact version. Could you just give us your story? Where were you born and raised? Uh, and, and what was life like growing up? And then when did you meet Jesus? Um, I'm actually, um, I grew up in the city of, uh, of Racine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was born in the 50s. Um, Pastor and I are about the same age. Um, I grew up in, um, I loved Racine. Racine was probably... Uh, one of the most integrated cities I've ever been in and, and, and lived in. A lot of people don't know that. You see, now you see a lot of negativity on the news and all that stuff, but Racine was absolutely amazing growing up. Um, all the schools were integrated, and I think that's something that, that a lot of you guys don't even know is that a lot of these areas up north, or this is considered up north, um, they didn't have any black people. So therefore, a lot of people never met a black person. I've had black uh, people come up to me and can, can I touch your hair? And, yeah, go right ahead. You play my booty too. But the thing is, <laughs> that wasn't spiritual, was it? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, but no, it's it's it's. And when you don't have that diversity, mm-hmm. and that and you don't have that um, that uh, connection with people, um, you, you you're kind of afraid. You're afraid of what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know black people who've never had any inter- interactions with white people, and they're just as fearful. Mm-hmm. They're just as fearful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, I grew up in Racine, and it was a it was a great experience. Good. You play sports? What'd you do in school? I ran track. I played football. I ran. I ran the hurdles. I know it's hard to believe. I used to high jump. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just. Uh, I know, just the idea of me, you know, going over the hurdles. I'm just, I'm just saying, and you don't have to laugh that hard. But the, um, the thing is, is uh, I, I did play sports, and I felt that sports was a really great place for people to blend and get to know each other. Um, that's always been my ideal. That's why I made sure my children played sports. Is because I wanted them to, to for one, inter, 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 learn to, uh, uh, team spirit yeah. and to, um, to integrate and you get to know other kids. Don, you're raised by a family. Yes. Tell us about that. Who brought you up? Um, I was raised up. My, my mother passed away. We, we, my, my, my father was uh, physically abusive, and my mother ran to Milwaukee when I was five. Um, and she, she ran to, 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 to Milwaukee, and um, while we were in Milwaukee, she passed away when I was 12 of cancer. So one of my aunts from Racine came and raised us, and she was uh, she was uh, uh, she was a hard taskmaster. She she was raised um, in the South, and she was always um, she was a hard hard person to live with. But I tell you what, she taught me how to work. She taught me how to appreciate um, um, doing a good job. If you're going to do anything, do it well. Do it hundred. If you, if you instead of giving a hundred percent, always give hundred and ten percent. Always give more than what's asked for. And, and she taught me. Um, 
about getting up every day and doing my job. And uh, I've been very successful in my life because of those lessons, those life lessons. Um, and you went to the auto industry then? Yeah, I started. I Now, this is where it's going to get a little funky for some of y'all. But as soon as I use this word, there's some people that get a little offended. All right. I had the opportunity to become a skilled tradesman. And it was, a, it was the opportunity came through the Urban League. And it was a... Um, Affirmative action situation. They, mm-hmm. they were taking young people, young females, um, Hispanic men, um, and some black men, and they were uh, giving us some of these high-paying industrial um, uh, skilled trade jobs. And I was blessed enough. I was 18 when I got the job, and I served an apprenticeship, and it was the hardest thing I ever dealt with in my life because at this time, back in 1974, um, in order to be in skilled trades, you usually had to get, you would get it through the family members, and it was all white. These was 160 mill ranks. It was uh, 40, uh, it was 120 machine repairmen. This was, plant was amazingly big. It was 13,000 people in this plant. Wow. And um, the electricians, there, were, there was 120 electricians, pipe fitters, there was, every trade in, under the sun was there. But the thing was, is that when they brought this black kid in, the people would say, well, you know, the only time the government does, everything the government does, they mess it all up. You know, they bring in these Negroes up, that's not the word they use, they, they brought these Negroes up in here, and uh, we're not going to treat, they, they told me we're not going to teach him nothing. And I went through about four years of trying to transform people's ideals. The same thing I actually do in church. Mm-hmm is I want people to see mm-hmm. my heart. Yeah. And, and before you know it, within time, the majority of these men that was teaching me, they started to look at me like I was one of their own kids. And they treated me with more respect and more love than you can even imagine. I had one journeyman, and I'll never forget his name. His name is Leon Robillard. Leon called me. He'd never called me by my name. He just called me little nigger. And after a while, it actually started to sound pretty good. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> but... But Leon hated me for some reason. And I be- he, he, he just hated me. And on the day that he retired, which was like 25 years later, he had heard about me and how, what I had produced throughout my years at, in certain areas and what, how, how I became an asset to the company. And he came up to me on the day that he retired, the night he came in, I mean, uh, the, night, the night he retired. I came into my locker room to sit down and I worked third shift. And out of nowhere, Leon showed up and he says to me, he says, Don, he says, I have heard nothing but good things about you all the time um, that you've been here. And he said, he said, I remember when you was an apprentice, he said, I remember how bad I treated you. This is his last day at work. And he worked day shift and he came in on third and he said, I want to ask you for forgiveness. And he put his arms around me and no, he went to shake my hand, and I said, no, that's not necessary. And we just hugged, and we both cried. And that showed me that one person can make a difference in another person's life. Because of the way I treated him, and I didn't react to all his negativity, and I, I, stuck, I kept being myself, it changed not only his life, but my life as well. So, Tell us a little bit about your family. Which one? All of them. <laughs> your, cur- <laughs> your current family, <laughs> your wife and kids. <laughs> no, no, I'm really, I'm really blessed. Um, my, all my kids. The reason I'm in Ship Oregon is because my son had the opportunity to. Uh, um, well, anyways, I grew up and I got saved. When I got saved, yes. Okay, when I got saved, Jesus changed my life, and um, and my, all my children. Um, was serving the Lord and I used to sing around the house that's all I did is sing around the house and, and we had music playing all the time I'm sure you did too Corey I know you did um, you had music playing all the time and you were just glorifying God and the house was filled with nothing but Jesus and so my son Travis he he uh, taught himself how to play piano because he couldn't he was he was the worst athlete I ever saw in my life I ain't never seen nothing like him <laughs> It was pitiful. I, he went out, I made him go out for wrestling. I never saw anybody get tied up in a knot like that. It was just <laughs> terrible. Um, 
I used to pray that Lord just let him just quit, stop, you know, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't give up, you know, but, but anyways, um, um, Travis taught himself to play piano and, and, and he had a, a nice little voice so he would sing with me and, um, uh, my pastor asked me to be the worship, on the worship team and, um, so Travis would sing with us and I promised him that when he was little that, um, um, cause we had started watching Hill songs that if, when he grows up, if he wants to go to Hillsong, I'll send him there. And sure enough, when, when he got old enough, turned 18, I sent him to Hillsong to Australia to, uh, to Bible college. And, uh, I, I sent him there. I didn't let him come back. I just, cause I didn't send him. You, you go in there, you ain't coming back till you're done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was there for four years and he came home and then he got a job here in town, um, and, uh, at Praise Fellowship. And that's when everything changed. My wife and I came here because I had retired from, uh, uh, Chrysler, which was uh, used to be American Motors, and, and um, she, we came to visit. You know, I came on a fact-finding mission. I said, "I'm coming in. I'm going to look and see if there's any more black people." I said, "There's got to be a couple." <laughs> and so I came here, and I, we went. We started going out to all the restaurants, and I said, "Terry, I haven't seen one black person yet." I said, "They got, they got to be here somewhere." And then um, <laughs> she said, <laughs> "I went to the front desk at the hotel we was at, and I asked the lady. I said, "Excuse me, ma'am." I said. Um, I said, I'm looking for the hood. And, and she said, <laughs> she said, the hood? She said, sir, I don't quite know what you mean. I said, I, I just, where are the black people? And she said, <laughs> she said, she says, well, I, I don't know where the rest of them are, but there's one that lives upstairs from me. I said, well, I guess you live in the hood. <laughs> and she, <laughs> that was so funny. My wife said, Daddy, get away from the lady. <laughs> So, anyways. Well, let's fast forward just a little bit now. Uh, uh, let's see. George Floyd, COVID, the elections, racial tension, Black Lives Matter, division, polarization. Uh, this wore you down and wore you out and I just want to hear what was going on inside your heart I know that the whole you know as soon as I mentioned last week Black Lives Matter it I was know. like oh. I know the air went out of me too yeah we're not endorsing anything absolutely not but I want to know all of those kinds of things that were going on inside of you as a Jesus follower trying to live out your faith in the context of all that's happening around you. Well, Pastor, you said it, you know, you, you said it during your um, dissertation, your, during your, your preaching a little earlier, almost every, everything that you said um, actually um, kind of earmarked what I was thinking um, about because uh, we're different. That's a, that one of the things you're saying. We're all different. We all have different um, situations in our lives. And look, Black Lives Matter matters to me because I'm a black man, okay? For one, and I have to say this, I think there's a misunderstanding about what it is. I have black children. I'm black. I've been racially profiled. I've been in situations that literally scared the hell out of me. Excuse my language. I'm not lying to you. This is the real deal. When you're white, you don't have to go through these things. You just don't. There's things that happen because, look, I, I work in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, with a demographic with some people who have been in violent confrontations with the police. They've, they've, uh, they've, they've been in some of the worst situations. They're, they're criminals. They've, they've been done some things with the, in the law. And they've, they come out of it alive. Black people, don't, a lot of black people don't come out of it alive. And, and, and another thing is there's a misinterpretation or a, a, a misrepresentation about what the police is to me. 10% of my family is police officers. My son, Cameron, is a, is a law enforcement officer. My uncles, uh, I have uncles that was, I had an uncle who was a, a police um, captain in, in Champaign, Illinois. I have two captains that in Racine who were police officers. I have at least seven to eight family members that are presently police officers in Racine. I have a, a, a son-in-law who just uh, retired from the police force. So it's not like I disrespect the police. I Believe me, I want the police to be. When I want to dial 911, I want them to show up. You know? But the issue is, is there's some things that are, that are happening to people that is just terrible. They're, a person should not die because a, 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 they have a, a, a taillight that's out. It should not escalate to that. But it does. And it needs to stop. 
you know, I have sons that I want to see come home and to be with their families when they get stopped by the police for something. You know, I got, I've been racially profiled here in Sheboygan a couple of times, but I'll be honest with you, I love Sheboygan. I love the, I love the, um, the city. I love uh, the demographic. I love the people. Um, so yeah, Black Lives Matter does matter to me. I don't, I don't see it the same way white people see it, and I don't think they will see it the same way. I don't think unless they're willing to to look at the fact that that there's a, there's a disparity going on with 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 the races. Now, by that, you're not endorsing some of the things that have happened. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, what happened in Kenosha really broke my heart because that's why I worked for 32 years. Hmm. When I saw what happened to the downtown area, I'm like, my gosh, that was terrible. I don't endorse that. That's a, that's, but, but I'm here to tell you, for every action, there's a reaction. And also, there's a lot of things that goes on and a lot of uh, uh, forces that are at play that has nothing to do with uh, Black Lives Matter. There's, there's infiltrators from other, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know all of this. I don't study all of this. But I do know what if, how I felt. I felt terrible about what happened in Kenosha. And just because I'm black and I, and I endorse Black Lives Matter because I'm tired of seeing black people get killed, you know, I don't want to see it anymore. I want it to stop. You know, I, I just, it's, it's scary. I got grandsons. I have 14 grandkids. That's a lot of grandkids, y'all. You know, and I want to see them come home. And they're good kids. But who, when you're being racially profiled, people don't look at how good you are. They're only looking at your skin color. Mm-hmm. So then we get into the whole election thing, and how is it for a black man to be put into a Republican kind of box? It sucks. For me, it, it really sucked because I'm, I'm not. Look, let me. You know what's funny? <laughs> I'm sorry, I laugh at myself all the time. Um, the the funny thing is, is that I'm not a Republican, but I probably voted Republican more than um, than I've ever voted for anything else because my wife made me. <laughs> So I'm just saying, but I have I have voted more Republican um, most of my life. But that's not the the Republican Party that I grew up with, and what I see now is two different things. Hmm. And um, I, I I could support so much of the things that was going on in the '80s, in the, in, the, in the '90s. But right now I'm just uh, the the conservative thing in the churches probably what bothers me the most. Because How's like, that? Because like I said earlier. I, I felt that you had to be a conservative to be a Christian. That's the, that's the way it, it, it's presented on, on Facebook and, and, and some of the social medias. And even in, in a lot of the conversations I have with people, like just um, day-to-day conversations with people, it's, it's like I have to think like they think. We're, we don't all think alike. I don't have the same desires that you might have, or I might not have the same uh, situations that's occurring in my life that, that you don't understand. It's different from me. I'm, believe me, believe me, please believe me and hear me. It is different for me as a black man. I live a different, we, we live, I, I'm a white, I'm, I, I assimilate into a white society, but it's different because my needs are different. The things I have to worry about on a daily basis in society is different. So I don't have a lot of conservative ideas. And then you want to know something else? I don't think we, as Christians, need to be connecting with any particular party to begin with. Because I'll tell you what, if you think we're doing this to help God out, God don't need our help. Mm -hmm. So, that's about where I'm at. What can we do to break down some of these walls or bring about unity within the church in some of these issues? Now, understand you're at a rise. We deal quite openly and transparently about this kind of thing. Down the road, we're going to hear from the Hmong side, which also is unique than your situation, and yet it's a voice that needs to be heard. The Hispanic, I don't care who it is. They're all different, but they're all the same. And so... Uh, where are you these days with those kinds of things? Well, like I said, um, I, I had one foot in and one foot out of the church. As a matter of fact, I'm still kind of uh, in, a, in a bad place. Um, I, 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 when, I, when you asked me to do this and you and I were talking, I told you, I said, you know what, what I'm realizing that this is good for me too because now I can heal because I'm talking about it. You know, I was always told if you, told if you don't uh, talk about things constructively, you're going to act them out self-destructively. And uh, Terry knows um, 
so it's a good thing that I'm talking about these things. But right now, the only thing I think we can do is just purposely love each other. Purposely. Be purposeful about not offending your brother. Doing everything that you showed us in scripture this morning, actually following those words and living those words. Try not to offend. If, if, if you got something to say, keep it between you and God. Don't hurt anybody. That's why I didn't want to speak to begin with because I didn't know how it was going to come out. I didn't know if it was going to come out sideways and, and, and you guys look at me as, as, uh, as a racist myself. I'll be honest with you. I don't, my, my, uh, my son was telling me last night, well, Dad, you know everybody's a racist. I said, no, they're not. He said, yes, they are. He says, whether you're mom, whether you're, he said, uh, you, you all have different experiences. And, and, and he said, you all have to deal with those things concerning other people. And um, I, I just want you to know that I think just loving one another is the only thing that we can do. And I think, I think we can do it uh, um, through worship. When I worshiped, like this morning, I was listening, and, and it was so beautiful. I was just, I just, I felt connected in the spirit with everybody in this room. Yeah. And I felt yeah. that love. Yeah. And that's where it begins, is in worship. So. Good, good. Uh, all right. We're going to take just a few more minutes, if you guys don't mind, because I did a little extra teaching. What questions or comments do you have for Don? Derek, what are we going to do for another mic? So, you've been listening to this. I know, I know some of you are just the insider going, uh, can we get back to what the scriptures say about accepting one another? I'm not necessarily asking you to agree with everything you said. I'm saying, can we accept this man and what he believes and why he believes it? Do you think Jesus is at work in him? Can we accept, welcome, and receive one another or are we going to build those walls? That's the question. So just let the, thank you, let the Holy Spirit work in your heart, my heart, just for a moment. Right? This is a journey we're all on. Who's got a question or a comment for Don? And I know you do. Sister, I, I just want to say thank you. Oh. Thank you for your courage, your vulnerability. Thank you very much for your courage and your vulnerability. Your heart shines through your chest like it was on the outside. Good. Good. Are you guys going to do this the next 10 minutes? Yeah. I know You guys are so You're smart. Kind of no, I'm tracking it right now. Don, I, I came to know you after you got saved. And always and only... I saw Jesus in you. And that's, I think, the bond that the Lord has kept strong between us. And I just pray that when I meet others, and I do, that don't know Jesus yet, that same uh, love that is God's potential would move in those moments not just for myself, I guess, for the body of Christ, that we would see the potential in God's heart and love each other the same as if they were saved. Mm -hmm. So thank you, brother. I love you. Wonderful. Thanks. Are, are, oh, do you want to say no, something? No, go ahead. <laughs> are we making you as a church feel comfortable who you are as a black man are we making you feel accepted and wanted as a body I don't think it's a matter of uh, for me it's not even a matter of color here even though if you look around I'm the only black person in the room it's not a matter of color it's a matter of, of respect um Knowing me and not knowing me, not knowing who, I mean, for instance, I don't have to know everything about you to love you and respect you. And I think that, uh, I think the thing, like I said, that bothers me the most is, is a lot of the stuff that's presented on Facebook by people as if they don't care about that person 
They don't know who you are sitting next to you in the pew and, and, and you're spewing these things and these ideals that, that separates and hurts. Just respect. Just that's all I want is respect. It's not about color. I just want to be respected and loved. That's all I want. Italia, thank you for sharing that. Now, Italia's grown up in this church, right? That's Elizabeth. Italia's over there. Sorry, you guys keep changing hair color. But Elizabeth was speaking from purple hair. And I guarantee you, people will form an opinion about that. Right, Italia? As you guys keep changing hair color. Um, Yeah. And it's about respect. Good. Corey, what are you doing there? You want a photo op or what is this? This is my brother from another mother. We have been worshiping together 25 years, maybe 30, in different churches and different venues. But this morning, I looked at Don through different eyes. I really have. You've said some things this morning that I never thought of. And I'm one of those... Facebook guys who probably post things they shouldn't post. And my wife tells me all the time, don't do that. You listen to your wife, I should listen to mine. <laughs> but anyhow, I want to apologize for anything I've ever posted or said that might have been offensive to you because you are my brother. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, man. Thank you, Corey. Back here. Big man. Don, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart, buddy. I feel you like a wedgie, buddy. I know. I mean, I just, I understand. I can't say that I walked your steps, but at the same time, being Latino, I could tell you I experienced, you know, probably similar situations. Um, I hope you don't mind me asking, but you, you mentioned assimilation, which is a huge word, especially for me in my life, because we had to do that. We had to assimilate to our environment around us. I grew up in a community that was uh, heavily uh, Irish, so it was, it was, it was hard to, to connect with them. So at the same time, through that assimilation process, did you get any backlash from the black community that you were, you know, that you were coming from as far as that assimilation? Because I know I did, where I was looked upon as a Benedict Arnold or, you know, just different than the community that I originally came from. Yeah, there, there, there was um, a bit of a backlash, but, um, the thing is, especially when I was, like I started my apprenticeship at 18, and I basically had to separate myself from um, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the black family that I had. And, and I regret it now, because I had to separate myself in order to be successful uh, as an apprentice, because I had to take on a whole new identity to some degree um, in order to survive within that, uh, that environment. It was... It was you know, my wife would always tell me, Don, because she, t- to be honest with you, I put up with a lot of crap, and I would come home and take it out on my wife, and my personality, and my and my arguments, and you know, I was just, I it, there was there was a backlash, um, because uh, I was trying to, I was, I had to succeed, you know, I didn't want to fail, and uh, I did, I did succeed, but it was at a cost, and. Uh, even right now, like I go to family reunions, I don't know family as much as my other relatives do know each other because I had to separate to a large degree. Yeah, so I just want to say thank you again. Um, I, too, have a heart and passion for other people, other different groups, but I just need guidance. So thank you for the education and opening my eyes a little bit. Um, I did want to say... Um, you know, if there's there's one place in particular, Sheboygan, that uh, has a really good majority of most people in the area, Walgreens at uh, 14th and Cold Memorial Drive mm-hmm. is pretty good. It's 24 hours, so people are going to be there all the time. Just go at a good time. Anyway, um, yeah, so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and I do apologize for the things you went through. And growing up as a pastor's son, there's some things, nothing against you, Dad, but there's some things that, that um, I wasn't really oh, experienced with in areas. I need, need some guidance, and he's my dad's done really well so far, but um, 
thank you again for that. And I hope, hope you do feel welcome here as a brother um, in Christ and uh, not even just an individual human, just as a brother first. So and, uh, we love you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. One or two more. Don, it's amazing to think it's been 10 years since I knew you. And you might not even know that because when I moved back here to become an officer, you were at Praise Fellowship. It's always amazing to watch you up on that stage. Remember how I always tell you, here comes the Don Gandy workout because you sweat so much? But it's amazing. So every week we come in, you're just nothing but good spirits, positive. When we go to Florida and we meet up the last several years, our talks, everything's just been amazing. And I appreciate you so much for sharing those things because if you don't realize it, everyone you talk to, for myself included, you're teaching us something. The stories you've taught me, I've been able to bring out on these streets. And it reminds me how I need to be as a, not just as an officer, but as a person. It's just been an amazing 10 years to watch you, to get to know you, to see you up there leading us and reminding us that it's not about what you see on the outside. It is all on the inside. So thank you. Anyone else? Don is available if you would like to continue any of this dialogue with him. Uh, Don was reluctant to do this, and I understand why. Uh, Not many of us have the opportunity to be like the only person of a different color. I have lived overseas. I have been the only person that I could see forever with white skin. Prejudice is real, and it's all over the world question is how are we going to handle it what are we going to do and if we can't talk about it in the church what are we about what are we doing how can we possibly reach the neighborhoods god is calling us to serve unless we have these difficult conversations they're not easy i get that i get that and yet i believe that the the love of god as demonstrated through the holy spirit's binding us together triumphs and trumps any kind of division or divisiveness. I know we all agree with that, at least the sentimentally. Now it's time to put feet to that because you can't do it in here. We don't stand a chance there. Because they can spot a phony from a mile away. And if they see us fighting... <laughs> you know right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you, Don. Let's give Don a hand. Uh, I just... So this begins our series, but I want this to begin some really good conversations after church and continuing forward. Let's learn to love each other. Next week, we're going to hear a little bit different angle, but the same story. How many of you in your life know someone personally, either family, friend, neighbor, whoever, who battles addiction? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's like most all of us, right? That's like most all of us. And so next week we're going to hear from Ryan Molnar, our Stepping Stone director. And he's going to talk to us about fear and what that means and how do we respond, how do we love. My oldest son, an addict, I understand this to some extent and the pain that it causes, right? And so we're going to have a conversation about this. And Ryan, I hope you make us very uncomfortable next week, which is a motivation to say, I want to make a difference. We all know it's happening in Sheboygan and Sheboygan County and in the state of Wisconsin. We all get that. But if we're going down to where we're headed, my friends, we've got to be prepared and equipped to know how to pray, to know how to love to know how to make a difference, right? I'm really excited about this.
Good. Any other questions or comments that you have? Nate. So I'm understanding you to ask, Nate, when, is, when do we say, rather than say, hey, I'll pray for you, just to seize the opportunity? Yeah. Is that right? Good. And what we don't want to do... <laughs> oh, boy, I don't have time for this right now. Because <laughs> this gets me wound up. Because what we do in here, in speaking our Christianese, right? Oh, brother, be blessed. Do you know what that means to somebody in the neighborhoods we're looking to go to? It's a whole different connotation. We have our own language. And I remind us again, the first thing we do when we put an international worker on the field is they have to learn the language so they can learn the culture. And if we can't speak the language, we won't understand the culture. And so that's what we want to do. Seize those opportunities. I think we ought to be praying for one another spontaneously. And when you ask me, hey, would you pray for me? Generally, we will bow our heads right then, right there. We will pray because I'll forget. And then the enemy uses that against me. He'll bring it up later and I get go on this guilt trip like, oh, oh. And I'm glad God's timeless because I'll pray for that even though the events already happened. Like, uh, it all counts. Make sense? But thank you. All right, let's stand together, shall we? It is delightful to be able to have these conversations. Let us learn to accept one another. Accept one another. And live out this thing that will bring honor and glory to Jesus. The way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, the healer who has been present among us. And as we let our guards down, may we he bring healing. Not defensiveness. Not thinking through how we respond. But just Holy Spirit, what are you saying right now to me and to our church? It's about the people that don't yet know the love of Jesus who are desperate. Desperate to find an answer. Terry, would you close us in prayer? Yeah. So, Lord, I thank you for this uh, this time, as we said here, of uh, being able to share from hearts and, and hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone. You do say in Ezekiel thirty six twenty four and twenty five about how you want to remove the heart of stone and give us one of flesh and pour out your spirit upon us. You also say in Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony are we saved. So we pray what we hear here today, allow it to get from our heads down into our hearts. Mm. Allow us to intentionally put it to practice. So we ask that you give us eyes to see ears to hear and a heart that is soft and made of flesh that we can walk in the likeness of you and we would just pray and ask this in your name Jesus amen amen church have a great week continue the conversation